Derek Prince's uh, book, uh, They Shall Expel Demons, Chapter 21, Preparing for Deliverance. Perhaps, as you have been reading, you have recognized that there are demons at work within you. You did not previously understand the pressures you were enduring, but now you have been able to identify them. Thank God, you no longer need to endure these pressures passively. In this chapter, I will show you the way that leads to deliverance and to victory. The wonderful secret is this. You do not have to win the victory for yourself. You can enter into the victory that Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has already won for you. On the cross, Jesus paid the full price and the final penalty for all the sins of all people of every age and of every race. Again, on the cross, Jesus paid the full and final penalty for all the sins of all people of every age and of every race. He was the Lamb of God who carried away the sin of the world. Jesus carried away the sin of the world. Read chapter 1 of verse John, verse 29. By raising him from the dead, God demonstrated to the universe that his justice was fully and finally satisfied by the propitiation Jesus had made for our sins. The sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf is the one all-sufficient basis on which you can claim a full release from every demonic force, Satan, and act in faith on it, you will be able to say with Paul, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. If you decide to claim the deliverance God has provided for you, you have two options to seek ministry from your pastor or fellow Christians, or to turn directly to the Lord for the help you need. If you have access to a church or other ministry willing to help you, then by all means seek their help. It is important to make sure, however, that they are sincere Bible-believing Christians, and that they understand what is involved in dealing with demons. If you, as a Christian, approach them and discover 
that they do not believe a Christian can have a demon, then obviously they will not be able to help you. If our U.S. office, correction, in our U.S. office, we receive letters regularly from people who have come to realize they need deliverance from demons and are asking us to recommend some church or ministry in their area that will help them. Regrettably, more often than not, we do not know anyone to whom we can conscientiously direct them. It reminds me of a scene in the ministry of Jesus. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 through 37. The ministry of deliverance is a harvest field in which many properly equipped workers are needed. I realize, therefore, that many who read this book may not have any human source of help to whom they can turn. But thanks be to God, the way is always open to the one who is the Deliverer, Jesus. If you decide to take this route, I have outlined for you a series of nine steps that can lead you through to the deliverance and victory you need. Step 1. Personally affirm your faith in Christ. Step 2. Humble yourself. Step number 3. Confess any known sin. Step number 4. Repent all sins. Step number 5. Forgive all other people. Step number six, break with the occult and all false religion. Step number seven, prepare to be released from every curse over your life. Step number eight, take your stand with God. Step number nine, Expel. First, however, it is important to make sure of your personal relationship with God. If you do not already know you are born again child of God with all your sins forgiven 
through Jesus' sacrifice, then you can, by the very act of following these steps, enter into a direct personal relationship with God as your Father. If, on the other hand, you already have a personal relationship with God, going through these steps will strengthen your faith and give you a solid scriptural basis on which to seek the help that you need from Him. Read carefully through the nine steps in this chapter, step by step, until you are sure you fully understand each of them. Then in chapter 22, I will provide you with a form of prayer by which you can claim your deliverance from every demonic oppression. You are protected by the blood of Jesus, as I said in chapter 16. Only when you are rightly related to him and walking in obedience Be sure, therefore, that you have prayed the prayer in faith before you take your stand against the demons. Step number one, affirm your faith in Christ. Jesus is the high priest of our confession. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. The Greek word translated confession means same as, same as. Therefore, we say the same about what Jesus has done for us as the Bible has already said. We make the words of our mouth agree with the word of God. We proclaim the victory of Jesus in a bold and personal way on our own behalf. When we do so, we invoke his ministry as our high priest to bring our need before God the Father, thus releasing the whole authority of heaven on our behalf. If we fail to confess our faith in this way, we give Jesus no basis on which to intervene for us. Step number two, humble yourself. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the hand of Almighty God. First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 6. If we approach God with an attitude of pride, He resists us and we have no access to Him. So our first step God must be to humble ourselves to say to God, I need you. 
God never offers to make us humble. Throughout the Bible, he places the responsibility on us. God can humiliate us, and sometimes he may have to, but only we can make ourselves humble. If we are willing, however, God will supply all the grace we need. When we seek deliverance from demons, there may come a point when we have to choose between dignity and deliverance. If dignity becomes more important than deliverance, we have not really repented of our pride. I was approached once by a doctor's wife in the deep south of the U.S., an old-style, genteel lady who said, Mr. Prince, if I understand you rightly, when I seek deliverance the way you describe it, I may end up screaming. It could happen. I replied. But I was brought up that a lady doesn't scream in public. Well, I said, suppose you were in a river drowning, about to go down for the third time, and you thought there might be somebody on the bank who could rescue you. Would you be too ladylike to scream? I needed to say no more. If you are not prepared to humble yourself, you will not be willing to take the steps to follow. Step number three, confess any known sin. Nowhere in the Bible does God commit himself to forgive sins that have not been confessed. But for those who confess, his promise is clear. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 God is faithful because he has promised. He is just because Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. If you are troubled with some specific sin, be honest about it. Do not call it by some fancy psychiatric name. Most of the names for our basic sins are not pretty. And God forgives them only when we acknowledge them as sins. He never promises to forgive problems. If you have a problem, with overeating, call it by its name, the sin of gluttony. If it is lust, 
call it lust. If it is hatred, call it hatred. If it is gossip, call it gossip. Remember, too, that once you have told God the worst about yourself, you have not shocked him. He knew it all before you told him. Furthermore, he still loves you. I referred in chapter 13 to God's warning that he visits the sins of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation. Read Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5. This may apply in your case. The sins of your ancestors do not make you guilty, but they can be causing you to suffer from their consequences. It may be advisable for you to confess and disassociate yourself from any sins that your ancestors committed. This applies particularly to the occult or a false religion. It is not wise, however, to indulge in self-analysis. Simply relax and let the Holy Spirit bring to your mind any specific sins you need to confess. Remember, He is your helper. Step 4. Repent all sins. It is necessary to confess your sins, but that by itself is not enough. You must also repent for your sins. He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. You must first confess and then forsake your sins. To forsake your sins means to turn away from them completely. A young man said to me once, I think I have a spirit of lust, but I rather enjoy it. Do you think God will deliver me from it? Definitely not, I replied. God delivers us from our enemies, not from our friends. But if you will make your friend your enemy, then you can ask God to deliver you. You need to ask him to help you hate that sin as he hates it. Repentance involves two things. First, you must accept personal responsibility for what you have done. You cannot hide behind 
some other person, a parent, spouse, or minister perhaps, and hold him or her responsible for the wrong things you yourself have done. Nor can you blame demons for your sin. Your attitude must be, I am guilty and I acknowledge it. Second, you must take the same stand against your sin that God himself takes. Do not try in any way to minimize or excuse it. Hate it as God hates it. Then sin will have no more power over you. Step number five, forgive all other people. In Mark 11, verse 25 through 26, Jesus established an unvarying spiritual law. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If we desire forgiveness from God for our sins, we must unconditionally forgive all those who have sinned against us. In chapter 18, I mentioned the parable Jesus told about a servant whose master forgave him a debt equivalent to several million dollars. Yet he himself refused to forgive his fellow servant a debt of just a few dollars. Read Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 35. When we consider the incalculable debt each of us owes God for the sins we have committed against him, the most that any fellow human being owes us is, by comparison, just a few dollars. The judgment on the unforgiving servant was to be delivered to the torturers. In chapter 18, I compared the activity of demons to that of torturers. If you want to be delivered from the torturers, you must freely forgive all those who have offended or harmed you in any way. 
Remember that forgiving another person is not primarily an emotion. It is a decision of the will. First, you must make a firm decision. Then you must verbalize it. I forgive so-and-so of all the wrong he or she did to me. I lay down all bitterness, all resentment, all hatred. Deciding in your heart, then speaking it out with your mouth, makes your acting of forgiveness effective. Step number six, break with the occult and all false religion. I explained in chapter 14 how intensely God hates any doctrine or practice that puts some other person or thing in place of undivided loyalty and wholehearted worship that belongs solely to God. Somewhere in the background of all these other systems lurks the one who is the arch enemy of God and man. If you want to draw near to God, you must sever all contact with Satan. This includes removing from your possession and from where you live anything that in any way links you to the occult or to the satanic. This includes books, souvenirs, charms, and objects of art. Remember Moses' warning to Israel? Nor shall you bring any denomination correction. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 26. The best way to dispose of such things is, if possible, to burn them. Remember, this is how the Christians in Ephesus responded when they realized their occult scrolls linked them to the power of demons. Follow their example. If your circumstances prevent you from doing this immediately, make a commitment to God to do it just as soon as you have the opportunity. Step number seven. Prepare to be released from every curse over your life. The Bible has much to say about the power 
of blessings and cursings. Altogether, it mentions them about 600 times. Contemporary Western Christendom has tended to focus on the blessings and to regard the curses as a superstitious carryover from the Middle Ages. But this is unscriptural and unrealistic. I have compared a curse to a dark shadow over our lives that shuts out part, at least part, of God's blessings. Two of the blessings that may be excluded by a curse are physical healing and deliverance from evil spirits. Over the years, I have compiled a list of some problems that commonly indicate that a curse is at work. Number one, mental or emotional breakdown. Number two, repeated or chronic sicknesses, especially if heredity. Number three, barrenness, a tendency to miscarry or related female problems. Four, breakdown of marriage and family alienation. Number five, continuing financial insufficiency. Six, being accident prone. Seven, a family history of suicides or unnatural or untimely deaths. There is, as I have said, one all-sufficient scriptural basis for release from a curse. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross by which he took on himself every curse due to us, that in return we might inherit the blessings of Abraham, who was blessed by God in all things. Read Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. If you would like further information, take a look at my book, Blessing or Curse, You Can Choose. If you sense there is some curse over your life, seek release from it on the basis of what Jesus did for you on the cross when he was made a curse. I will give you the words to pray 
in the next chapter. Step number eight. Take your stand with God. Make a firm decision and speak it out. I submit my will, my purpose, my future, my whole life to God. I take my stand with God against all sin, all evil, and every kind of demon. As soon as you take your stand with God, he also takes his stand with you. You can enjoy the confidence expressed in Romans 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? One way God may come to your help is by revealing the identity of any demons you need to expel. I commented in chapter 8 that dealing with a demon can be dealing or like dealing with a fierce dog. When you call the dog by its name, you have more authority over it. You may already be aware of the names of a specific demon or demons from which you need to be delivered. Or it may happen that as you enter the process of deliverance, a name of a demon will come to your mind. There are two of the ways of the Holy Spirit may come to your help. At the end of one deliverance service, a young man asks me, Is there such a thing as a spirit of tooth decay? I've never heard of such a spirit, I replied. But if the Holy Spirit says there is one, then there is one. Well, that's what I've just been delivered from, the young man told me. Many years later, the man, no longer young, told me the result of that deliverance. I would go to the dentist and have a tooth filled, he said. But after a year or two, the tooth would decay beneath the filling, and I would need a new filling. But since I was delivered from the spirit of tooth decay, I've never had that problem again. If the Holy Spirit does not give you the name of a specific demon, your next step must be to take a deliberate stand with God against the demon and to verbalize it. Speak it out. You spirit of lust or rejection or confusion or whatever, 
I take my stand against you in the name of Jesus. I no longer submit to you. You have no more place in me. I command you to go. You cannot afford to be passive. Remember James chapter 4 verse 7. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Step 9. Expel. This is so simple, simple and practical that it does not seem spiritual, but it works. You should not attempt to do it. However, until you have prayed the prayer in the next chapter. I explained in chapter 11 that the word for spirit in both Hebrew and Greek is the word for wind and also the word for breath. So how do you get rid of breath? You expel it, usually through your mouth. There are, however, eight other orifices in the human body. At times, a demon may come out through any one of them or in other ways. In chapter 19, I related the story of the student, Christopher, and how a demon of doubt came out through his left ear. I have also mentioned that a demon of masturbation frequently comes out through the fingers. A spirit of crippling is often expelled with convulsive movements of the body. If it happens that a demon does not come out through your mouth, but through some other orifice or area of your body, you will become aware of it. Cooperate with the Holy Spirit and he will show you what to do. But most frequently, you may expect the demon to be expelled through your mouth. A mother came to me once with her little boy of about four and asked me to pray for him. What's his problem? I asked. Allergies. What kind of allergies? Food allergies. What kinds of food is he allergic to? Tell me what he isn't allergic to. Then I told the mother, I'm going to deal with this as an evil spirit. Is that all right? She gave her consent. Then I turned to the little boy and explained. There's a bad spirit in you, like a breath, and it keeps you from eating the things you like. 
I'm going to command it to come out of you and then correction. And when I say, in the name of Jesus, I want you to blow it out. Okay? The boy nodded and behaved like a well-trained little soldier. I commanded the evil spirit to leave him, and when I said, In the name of Jesus, the boy blew out four times. Nothing further happened. No emotion, no excitement. I wondered whether the boy had really delivered, but I had to leave it with the Lord. Three days later, the mother came back and asked for prayer for herself. What's your problem? I asked. Allergies, she replied. Tell me first what happened to your son, I said. He came home with me, she said, marched straight up to the refrigerator and sampled everything in it, and nothing did him any harm. I remembered what Jesus said about the need to become like little children. After you have said your prayer for deliverance and concluded with Amen, begin to expel. That is a decision of your will followed by an action of your muscles. At the same time, make way for the demon or demons to come out. Keep the exit clear. Do not go on praying or start to speak in tongues. I have discovered that movement of the lips and tongue in speech acts as a barrier to keep the demon in. Think of an ambulance coming down the road, lights flashing and siren blaring. All other traffic moves off to the side of the road. Do the same thing in your throat. Clear the way for the demon to come out. As you begin to expel, what comes out first may be just natural human breath. But after a short while, something other than human breath will start coming out. This is your enemy. Keep the pressure on. There may be different manifestations as a demon emerges. It may be scarcely perceptible. Just a little sigh or yawn or it may come with sobbing, groan, correction, groaning, coughing, screaming, or roaring. Remember in the ministry of Philip, 
the demons came out with loud cries. One woman delivered from a demon of nicotine yawned so widely that she thought she was going to dislocate her jaw. But then she closed her mouth. Correction. But when she closed her mouth, she was free from nicotine. Set no predetermined limit as to how long you will go on expelling. Keep on as long as there are any demons to come out. When a demon is coming out, some people, usually women, may go on screaming without receiving any release. This indicates that the demon has stopped in the narrow section of the throat and is holding on there to avoid being expelled. In such cases, a deliberate forceful cough will usually dislodge the demon and force it out. In a deliverance service, sometimes a demon screaming will distract others from seeking deliverance, hindering them and even making them afraid. This is when workers need to act quickly and help the person screaming to get released. Many different things may happen when a demon comes out. But remember, when you speak in the name of Jesus, you have authority over the demons. Do not yield to a spirit of fear. Remember, too, that the Holy Spirit is there with you to help you. Yield fully to him and let him guide you through to full victory. Now on to the prayer. Okay, this is the end of part four, chapter 21, Derek Prince's They Shall Expel Demons. <laughs>